Well, welcome to Ascent Church on this Easter morning, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here. We are so glad to get to, we, we so love getting to celebrate Easter with all of you. Um, this, this, is a, this is a fun morning. I woke up at, before the sun came up this morning and, and, uh, and normally I just drag out of bed. And I know the only people that see uh, daylight at that, or they, they see the, 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 the daytime at that time is teachers. And so we, we respect you teachers that have to get up before the sun comes up. But uh, uh, I don't have to normally. But today we did, and it's, it is so fun. It is Easter. It's Easter morning. So fun to celebrate this with all of you. I want to start right now, though, by, by um, I got to vent a little bit. Um, I I got to put in a complaint to the Easter Bunny because this week I heard so many people talk about how the Easter Bunny would bring them baskets of chocolates and, and coloring books and toys and all of those things for Easter. And, and I'm sitting there going, now, wait a minute. Now, what are they bringing? And they said, yeah, they, you know, the Easter Bunny, they, they put a little jelly bean trail from our bedroom right into the kitchen. And that's where the Easter basket was at. And I'm sitting there going, now, wait a minute, you know. I grew up in Spokane, and I, I, we, we hard-boiled some eggs, and we dyed them, and then we put them in the fridge, and the Easter Bunny would come and, and would, would hide them, and it'd be a dozen, one dozen, and me and my three brothers, and so we'd get up in the morning, and we'd go look for our three eggs apiece, and that was it. No basket, no chocolate, no coloring books, and then we'd get it, and then we'd make egg salad sandwiches, and that was Easter morning for us. So... Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know when the, the Easter Bunny started doing more than that, but I, I got the shaft is what I feel like from, from the Easter Bunny. But maybe they ran out, of, maybe he ran out by the Pacific Northwest and he'd done everything else. I want to know who else did not get big old candy baskets at Easter. Who else did that? See, I'm going to start a support group for those of us that are like that. We're gonna, it's going to be, you know, kids that didn't get Easter candy support group. And so we'll just get together and commiserate together. Um, you guys, we are, we are, we're going to talk about something a little bit more important than that today. We're going to talk about something that, that, that happened not just 2,000 years ago, not, with, not just with Jesus Christ coming to this earth and living and dying a, a brutal death and, and conquering the grave. We're talking about a story that started at the very beginning of time. We're talking about a story that, that started with God in the very beginning when he created man and woman. And he gave us, he, he created us and then gave us an option. He said, look, I'm not going to create robots. I'm not going to create people that just, that just have to love me and have to follow me. I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the freedom to choose this if you want to choose this. And we didn't choose to follow him. And that caused a separation between us and God. And when that separation happened, from that point on, we have tried everything we can to try to get back together in this right relationship with God. We have, I mean, that's where you get all the rules that you get. That's where you go to churches or you, you just read about, here's all the things we got to do to try to make it right, but we could never make it right. And God knew that. And God loved us. He says, for God so loved us and loved this world that he said, here's the plan. I'm going to give you my son. And my son's going to take all those things that we have done, all those things that we will do, and all those things that future people will do, he's going to take them all to the grave with him. And he's going to die the death that he didn't deserve to die, but he did for us so that we, because we were going to die separated from God, and he's going to do it instead. But he wasn't going to stop there. He wasn't going to stop at death. See, lots of people have been martyred, but he wasn't going to stop at death. He was going to rise from the grave. He's going to conquer death 
for us so that we could be in that relationship with God and so that we could have life on this earth and that we can have life for eternity. And so that's why we call him the Savior because he saved us from ourselves and he puts us into this right relationship with him. That's what we're celebrating with Easter today. We're going to dig into that a little bit more this morning and, and look at the story from a, 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 an eyewitness that got to see it all played out right in front of him. We're going to look at that story this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this group of people that are in here today. And we recognize that some people are here because they were dragged here by a neighbor. And they did not want to be here, but they're saying, all right, I'll do it. And we know that some people are here because they were dragged here by a friend or by a relative. Or maybe some have come because they just felt like this is the one time of the year that I probably should step into church. Or maybe we've, we've, we've come here for all different kinds of reasons and thoughts and, and hopes maybe. But God, we love it that every single one of us in this room right now, every one of us you love is here and that you want to speak to them. And we pray that you would speak to us today, even for people that didn't expect anything more than to come and pet a bunny outside and get a cup of coffee and go home. I pray that you would do something powerful in here with each one of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys. 1993, August 28th, 1993, that was my wedding day. And I remember a lot of it. It was a, one of the most significant days in my life. That and the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl are probably the two most significant days in my life. No, it's not. It's not. Jackie, Jack, my love for my wife is stronger than my love for the Seahawks. It is. So that day... It's one of the most significant days in my life, August 28, 1993. I can remember a lot of it. I got up that morning, and me and some guys went and played golf right off the bat, and, and, then, and then we got ready for the wedding, and we were at, my, at this house, and someone put on, we're going to the chapel, and we're going to get married, and I remember kind of almost tearing up, going, oh my gosh, it's about me. I remember going to the wedding, and I remember standing there at the end of the aisle, and my twin brother and I are there, and, and, and Jackie's about to come down the aisle, and I remember that moment. I don't remember a whole lot else. I don't remember the reception. Uh, Jackie and I, about 15 years later, went to the hotel that we stayed in that first night, and we're looking at the lobby going, I don't remember any of this. I think I had my mind on other things, and we'll talk about that in the relationship series in the fall. Um, but but I, don't, I remember a little, and some of it I don't remember, and it was a significant moment. What if it was the most significant moment in the history of the world, in the history of mankind. I think we'd remember that a little bit more. I think I'd remember the little details, the things that I saw and the things I'm going, wow, is this really happening right in front of my eyes? Today we get to look at a guy that, that saw it firsthand. There was one of the closest friends of Jesus that was with him from the very beginning and walked all the way through with him was one of the guys that when Jesus would pull uh, people aside, he'd pull just, just him and a couple other guys aside to talk to him. And so he was right there in those moments, those intimate moments with Jesus. And, in, and he wrote about this. In the New Testament, there's four books that write about the life and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have some great perspective in there. But John, 
John writes from an intimacy that he has with Jesus where he's just going, I, I see it and I know it and I know what's going on and, I, and I'm right there with him through it all. He is an eyewitness from the front row of all that happened. For me, that's big in my faith because, because you know, sometimes God's tough to, to, to figure out and you can't see him. And you pray and you don't know where that prayer goes. But sometimes every once in a while you get that really tangible thing that you can hold on to going, this really happened. And that's what we get today from John's perspective. And so John starts writing about this stuff. He spends half his gospel writing about the last week of Jesus' life. And he talks about, he talks about uh, the, the Thursday before he died. He talks about the conversation they were having around the table when they sat down together for a meal. They leave that meal and they go to this olive grove. And he talks about what, what it was like in the olive grove. He says, we've been there lots of times before. And we're in this olive grove with these thousand-year-old trees. And he says it was in that place that Jesus was off praying and we fell asleep. And he gets back, he's going, couldn't you stay awake? And then he says the Romans were coming. Now, now John could have easily just said the Romans are coming and they got him and they left. But instead he unpacks that more for us because he's got this image etched in his mind because he saw it. And he's going, man, the Romans came, they were carrying torches, they were carrying weapons, they were carrying lanterns. Do we need to know the Romans were carrying lanterns? We don't need to know that. I don't think we need to know that. But he tells us that because that's, that's, that's what's in his brain. He's seeing all in, in such clarity exactly what happened. Romans come and they say, where's the G Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus steps out and the Romans fall over and then they get back up. And then Peter cuts off Malchus, one of the Roman soldiers' ears. All that stuff is part of what, what John is just seeing. And then John sees the rest of it, the whips, the canine tails of these, these, these kind of whips that have metal and, and, and glass on them. And, and he sees all of that. He sees Jesus, his close friend, getting beaten. And he sees him go to the cross. He sees the nails go into the soft part of his wrist. And the nails go into his Achilles in his, in his heels. He's going, I, see, I saw him go on the cross. And here's how we know this. John starts talking about even what it, was look like, what it looked like right there when Jesus was on the cross. John's, John's in the front row. And in one of the most intimate moments in the Bible. Because see, some of us, we sometimes look at this Bible and we think this is just a bunch of rules. It's a bunch of archaic stuff that doesn't really mean that much to me. But you guys, there is a, it's an intimate story for us in here. And in this, John writes, he says, he says, man, I was, I was there at the cross and Jesus on the cross, one of his last thoughts is he looked down to me in the front row and he says, take care of my mom. And John says, I took care of his mom for the rest of her life. One of the last things he thought of is, take care of my mom. And he said that to John. He must have been no further away than me to the, these chairs right here. You guys, we got that eyewitness that saw it all and went through that agony and wrote that down. And what was that like for him to pull out his typewriter and type that out? He didn't have a typewriter back then. What was it like? Did he shed a tear while he was writing that? And if he shed a tear while he was writing that, how excited was he when he got to the, the, the third day? When he got to that morning on the third day? When he starts writing, now you guys, listen to what happened. And that's where we're picking this story up, okay? Here's what it says. It says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb. Listen to the detail that he gives us in this, you guys. Eyewitness for us. 
Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb very early in the morning while it was still dark and noticed that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She comes in in the dark. He's going, man, she got up before everybody else got up. Nobody gets up that early except to play golf. And she got up that early to go, to, to, and she walked out to the tomb, and the stone had been rolled away. And she comes back, and she says, and she ran. She found Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, the other disciple whom Jesus loved is John. He doesn't say Peter and me. He just says the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, we can look at that and go, now, that's a little bit almost arrogant. It may be arrogant for him to say that. Or you can look at it this way. John identified himself in one way. I was one whom Jesus loved. I was one whom Jesus loved. I started thinking about that in here, and I'm thinking, can you imagine if every person that walked into this building today for Easter Sunday, for these three services, can you imagine if every person walked out of here with one conclusion, I am one that Jesus loved? Man, that would be victory. If we all could just we could conclude it and believe it. He says, man, I was one that Jesus loved. Now let's get back to the story because he says this. He says, he says they, she told them they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples set off at once for the tomb and the two of them running close together. And then here's where I, here's where I, this is what I call a Jim Candy moment. Jim is my co-pastor and he's like ultra competitive and has to win at everything and including the number of times he preaches compared to me. He has to, he has to win it at all. And so he's, so, so this is a Jim Candy moment because he says, he says, the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was first to arrive at the tomb. So now, so now Peter's got to be known as the one that denied Jesus and a slow runner. Those are the two things that we remember about Peter in the years and years later. John gets to the tomb first, but really, come on, he, look at the detail he's given us there. Mary comes and tells him, and he goes running to the tomb, and Peter's running to the tomb, and he's going, and I got there first. I was the first one to look into an empty tomb. There was nothing there. It's just some linens laying down on the ground. Nothing else was there. It was just, I'm looking in. I didn't even go in. I'm, I'm out of breath. I'm looking in there, and all I see is linens. He's gone. And then it says this. It says, Peter, Peter he says, hard on his heels came Simon Peter and went straight into the tomb. He noticed that the linen cloths were lying there and that the handkerchief which had been around Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself a little ways apart. And they're just describing what they see. They're both in there and they're just going, we don't see anything. It's empty. This place is empty. And then the other disciple who was the first to arrive at the tomb, let's make sure we repeat that, came inside as well, saw what had happened, and believed he saw what had happened and believes. And then parenthetically, he says this. He says, they did not yet understand the scripture which said that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went back again to their homes. He didn't understand. He's saying, look, I'm in the tomb. I've been spending all this time with Jesus. And I still didn't understand why he had to do it. He's, he's saying, I understand that that was, the, that was the death and the resurrection that was going to allow me to be in a right relationship with God. He's going, I didn't understand that. But I believed that is super important for all of us to grab hold of today, you guys. Super important because every one of us will always have questions around our faith. Some of you have come in here with some serious questions and doubts and wondering what in the world is this all about. Some of you are going, I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know if I can grab hold of what you're saying up in front or the prayer that you gave before him because I got questions. This guy walked with Jesus for the three years of his ministry as close as anybody could and still said, I didn't fully understand. That gives us permission to not understand everything too. But he said, but, but, he said, I believed. I could picture him in that tomb just kind of sitting back, exhausted, the adrenaline going, looking in there and just going, I believe. He is who he said he was. He's the son of God. I, I, he looks back, he's, I, he did what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to rise from the dead. He said he was going to conquer death. He told us that we we're going to grieve for a little while and then we're not going to grieve anymore and we're going to have this, this inexpressible joy. He did what he said he was going to do. But I think more than anything, I think John is in that tomb and he looks back at all those things that he ends up writing about. He writes about he, the main theme in John's, John's gospel, that his good news that he writes about Jesus. And then he writes these letters afterwards that we get to read too. The main theme across the board is how stinking much God loves us. And I think he's sitting in that tomb in that moment. He's going, I am one that Jesus loves. And I believe it. Three days before, Jesus said, there is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And he said, and I call you friends. And I think in that moment, John's going, he loves me. And I believe it. We all are in the tomb today, you guys. We're all in an empty tomb. Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. He has conquered the grave. And the tomb is empty and we're in there. And we are hearing that same thing, that God flat loves us. And what is our response? You hear it. Maybe some of you have heard it a thousand times. But do you believe it? Do you really believe it in your life? Because I think many of us, when we hear that, that God loves us, I think many of us go, yeah, yeah, he, he might, but he doesn't really know me, or I don't think he would love me. It's kind of like when you get a compliment. I was thinking about this. When you get a compliment, what's your first response to that compliment? Is it, yeah, you're right. You know, is that it? If it is, we're going to do a talk on humility. No, no, that's not. What do you, how do you respond to a compliment? If I walked up to one of you ladies today and I said, you look stunning today. You look beautiful. What would your first thought be? Probably that I'm a creepy pastor. But after that, <laughs> after you think that, what would you think? I would guess that probably what you think is, yeah, but you don't know how long it took to cover up the mistakes, to cover up the blemishes. You don't know how much weight I still want to lose. You don't know how much I spent on this dress or they spent on this. You don't know. Because if you would have known what I looked like an hour ago, you wouldn't have said what you said. For some reason, that's the way we respond. I looked that up. I was going, why is it so hard to receive a compliment? And in psychology today, it said this. A compliment typically induces one reaction, slight humiliation, confounded by a deep-seated fear that my complimenter will soon see what a fraud I am, and then he or she is, in fact, very wrong about me. It's, it's sad, but it's true for all of us. You know, you, you, hey, good job. Someone will come up to me, hey, good job with your, with your talk, because I love how you don't know if I'm 
preaching or talking or whatever. Good, to, good luck. Thank, good job with your whatever you do up in front. And I, my first thing is, oh, yeah, but I'm a fraud. You, know, I, you, you think those thoughts. And I think we do that with God's love. I think you hear it, and then we say, yeah, but. Yeah, but you don't know what's really going on on the inside. Yeah, but you don't know my thoughts. Yeah, but you don't know the things that I have done. Yeah, but you don't know that, that I don't like reading the Bible. Yeah, but you don't know that I don't pray at all. Yeah, but you don't know that I don't like going to church. Yeah, but you don't know that I don't like a lot of Christians. Yeah, but you don't know I don't like that dude at work that has that political agenda and he calls it his Christianity. Yeah, but you don't know the pain I'm carrying. Yeah, but you don't know that I've been wronged by the church before. And so I'm disappointed. Yeah, but you don't know what a failure I feel. Those are our responses for some reason to this unbelievable compliment and truth that God loves us. And it keeps us from seeing, it keeps us from experiencing, it keeps us from grabbing hold of God's love for us that is manifested through the cross and through his resurrection. That's why I've got this wall up. I know it's a sweet decoration. It looks beautiful because I did it all by myself. I spray painted everything. Actually, Wendell, a friend of mine did. Look, uh, we have this wall, and it's all in pieces. It's not just one flat thing. It's in pieces because, because it's all the layers, all the layers of all the yeah buts, yeah but this, yeah but that, yeah but, and it keeps us. It stays in the way, and the problem is it moves. See, watch. Look at that. We put wheels on it. It moves, and so now you're, you're standing there. And you're going, I can't see it. I can't experience it because this wall of yeah but gets in my way. Now, I call this my butt wall, okay? <laughs> Becky told me, don't say that on Easter Sunday. And I said, okay, I won't, so I won't. But I, if I did, and if it wasn't Easter, I'd be saying, this is my butt wall. Because it's all the yeah buts in my life. It's all the things that keep me from seeing and experience the love of Jesus every single day and live in that victory. In fact, I was going to put on the backside of this, of this wall, I was going to put this poster of SpongeBob with his pants down. But that would not be appropriate on Easter for me to show you that, so I'm not going to. We've got that wall. And it stands between us and a truth that we have to know. We've got that wall of, of past and history and issues that we're facing. We've got that wall of, yeah, but... Yeah, but I feel like a fraud. Yeah, but do you know how many people I've disappointed? Yeah, but you know how much I'm not living up to the husband I want to be, the child I want to be. Yeah, but I don't deserve it. Yeah, but I'm not worthy of it. And so I can't hear about God's love through his son, Jesus. So I'm not worthy of it. That's, a, that's the first thing I told Jackie when we started dating. Jackie sat down with me and she's going, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> she introduced me. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I sat there and I told her, I said, Jackie, I, I just don't feel like I'm worthy of what you're talking about. And I think I've carried some of that all along ever since then. 
this butt wall that follows me everywhere. What do we do about it? How do we get around it? How do we see the love of God? You guys, here's the deal. We don't do anything. God's the one that did it. And God's the one that's doing it. God is on a holy pursuit of us. we got to start realizing that the love of God is not some wimpy little sad sap story. we got to realize that the love of God isn't some little thing that just is a little romantic movie. The love of God is not the notebook. The love of God is not, is not a, a message in a bottle. The love of God is not Casablanca or, or, or Gone with the Wind. You see how I did that? We got some from now and some from way back, you know? The love of God is not Adrian and Rocky, the best love story of all time. The love of God is not Ario Speedwagon or Air Supply or Taylor Swift or any country song. The love of God is not Frankie Avalon. Is that right? <laughs> is my right with that one or is that bad? Uh, what else back there? Uh, Frank Sinatra, should I throw that one out there? It's the, the love of God is not any of that. It's not soft little romantic thing that makes me feel good. The love of God is tenacious, is persistent. He pursues us with everything he's got. He looks at our wall and he says, I'm going right past that to you. He's saying, I'm going to be determined to put this right in front of you. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, it says this. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn and drawn you and continue my faithfulness to you. He's saying, look, I have a steadfast, everlasting love that will go beyond even your stupidity at times. He'll go, it'll go beyond your issues. He, his, his people that he loved so much in the Old Testament, they kept loving him and turning from him. Loving him and then going a different direction. Loving him and then loving another God. Loving him and forgetting about him. And he's going, man, my love for you is a steadfast love. Are you feeling apathy? I'm still loving you. Are you turning from me? I'm still loving you. Because I am going to, and that's why I'm so faithful. I'm going to love that way. In the New Testament, he says this. John writes this in one of his letters. He says, he says, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown us that we would be named and called and counted the children of God. You guys, God looks at us like we're his children. And he is going, man, there is nothing you can do nothing you can do that will keep me from loving you. You cannot disappoint me enough to keep me from loving you. You cannot, you cannot turn your back enough to keep me from loving you. You cannot not read enough scripture for me to keep me from loving you. I don't know if I even said that right. <laughs> you, can, you can't do it because I'm going to keep loving you. Paul writes later on, he writes the great love passage in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians that many of you might have had read at your weddings or if you've gone to a wedding, you've probably heard it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. He goes on and on with lots of other stuff he talks about with love. And I heard someone say once, he says, we look at that as a limo passage that you read it in your wedding and then you get in your limo and you have all this schmoopy, schmoopy time and then you get in the limo and you go, that was so great that that passage was read at our wedding. It was so perfect. And he's going, man, that's not a limo passage. He says, that's a tow truck passage. He says, that was written to a group of people that were broken and were breaking. And he's going, and they needed a tow truck to come along the side of the road and help pick them up out of their brokenness. Love is patient when we don't want to be patient. Love is kind when we're not showing any kindness. 
Love does not envy when all we're doing is envying somebody else or something else. Love does not boast when all we're doing is boasting. He said at the end, the greatest of these is love. Out of faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. It's because hope is built from that love that God has for us. We have a hope for a future because it's built off of love and action through the cross and through his resurrection. Faith is built off that love that God has for us. We cannot have faith, even a faith as small as a mustard seed, if we didn't have that love first that God has for us. Man, it is a love that does not quit. I think of how many times Jesus could have just jumped on his donkey and ran. When he got into the Jerusalem in the, the week before, he could have just turned the donkey right back around. They laid palm branches down. He could have gone, okay, that's nice. I'm going this way. At the upper room, when he, tells, when he tells Judas, go do what you gotta do and betray me, he could have just gone, guys, I gotta go to the bathroom. And he could have left right then. When he's in the olive garden and everything, and all the, the olive grove and all the people are sleeping, that's his moment. Get me out of here. He's going, man, I will not quit on the people I love. And he will go all the way to the depths of the grave for us. And he will rise from the dead for us. And he will offer that love to us. Why do we need to know it? We need to know that because we are going to face all kinds of things that are going to keep us from, from grabbing hold of the love of God. There's going to be all kinds of disappointments. You're going to have somebody that will come up to you and say something to you that you're just going to go, man, that makes me not like God. You're going to have some pastor someday that's going to come up to you and say something stupid. I've heard this happen once where someone said that their, their pastor said to them, man, it was because you had a lack of faith that your mom died. That kind of stuff, I'll just call it stuff, that kind of stuff is the stuff that ends up putting layers up. It says, I, I, I can't grab hold of that love of God. When we have that kind of hard stuff, when we have that stuff where you're just going, I am filled with so much guilt, so much shame, so much disappointment, so much anger, we have all that stuff. We need a love that is going to go past. It's going to jump off the cross and walk right around it and say, man, do you know how much I love you? That's what this is all about. We need to know that love, and then we got to respond to it. Someone asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? Of all the different rules and all the stuff that you know, what's the most important thing? He says, love your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically saying, God is tenaciously loving you. Love him with everything you've got back. And then he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because when you start loving your neighbor, when you start loving God with that kind of, of passion right back to him, you're going to start loving your neighbor too. I started thinking about that going, come on. If someone's tenaciously, passionately loving you and your response to them is indifference, that's not going to go very far. If Jackie's loving me with all she's got and I'm going, that's ah, all right. That's all right. That's good. That's not going to go very far in our marriage. And God's going, come on. I'm loving you with an everlasting, steadfast love, and will you just love me back? And then will you take that and go love everybody else because that's the picture of the kingdom for me. That's what he's saying to us. Now listen, I, I, I told some of you guys this before. When I was in, in that fall, I went down to Colorado Springs and I spent some time just on a walk with God. And in this walk, I started just saying to God, I said, God, I don't know why you use me to lead this church. I just said, I was having one of those heart-to-hearts with him just going, 
I'm in such dire need of a tow truck. And I'm broken. And I know so many other people that have such a stronger faith and such a stronger prayer life and such a stronger whatever. Why don't you just pick them to do this? And I sat there and as I'm confessing that to God, just having this real heart to heart, I got to the point where I'm just going, God, I, I honestly feel like I disappoint you. I disappoint you with the email that I didn't respond to. I disappoint you with the, the, with the, with the, the meeting that I didn't have. I disappoint you with the, the quiet time or the time with you that I didn't spend enough time with you. I feel like I have just disappointed you. And I felt like God said to me, and I didn't hear his audible voice, but I feel like God said to me in that moment, Bill, you have heard it a thousand times that I love you. I felt like he was saying, for once, will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you believe it enough to live in the victory of it? Will you believe it enough that when you wake up in the morning, your first thought isn't what I did to disappoint you, but this is how much I love you? Will you believe it enough to live your day with the joy that comes from my sacrifice that I have given for you so that you can have life and you can have love now and for eternity? Will you believe that today, Bill? And stop living with this wall that stands between you and me? Will you hear that nothing can separate you from the love that I have for you? Because I'm going around that wall and I'm saying to you right now, you do not disappoint me. You are my child, and you are loved. You guys, we are all in the empty tomb this morning, and you're all hearing that God loves you, loves you enough to take his one and only son and have him go through the death that he had to, to raise him up and to give, him the, give us the life that he gives. He loves you that much, and he's asking you, do you just hear it or do you believe it? And will you live in the victory that that gives us? Can you walk out of here and say, I am one that is loved by Jesus? Because that's the truth on your life today on this Easter Sunday. Father, we pray. We pray that... that Every single one of us, no matter where we're at and whatever situation we're in, and in all of the, there's some heavy stuff on these walls. There's some things that have been there for years and years. There's some things that people would say, there is no way I can get past that thing. I pray, Lord, that they would recognize they're not getting past that thing, but you've already gotten past that thing to them. And I pray that, that each one of us would recognize that the power of your love went all the way to the grave and that conquered death and that gives us life. God, we pray that we would recognize that and we would grab hold of it and that we would believe it, that we would believe it. You have risen. You have risen indeed. 
Help us to claim the life that comes from that. 